Mixed Reviews Patreon. That's right, if you join our Patreon, you get bonus episodes as well as extended episodes. This episode has 30 minutes extra of content alone. And what's missing from this episode? Well, there's more talk about Psycho, more talk about Peeping Tom, more talk about Child's Play and Ozploitation, and much, much more. If you're only listening to the podcast version, you're only getting half the story. So join us on the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themixreviews, and we'll see you there. We'll be waiting. Gavin. Ah. <laughs> hey, Gavin. Act- acting. 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 Ah. <laughs> I love that you have a full goblet. Really, the goblet with the the, the fire in the, the background, in the background. Is, and the murder weapon is really what is giving well, the spooky, ooky, creepy, crawly season I, vibes. I also have this, just in case. Yeah, mask for mask. Yes, mask for yes. Mask. yes. If if, some, if, a, if a spirit does come over you and you do want to murder, you're ready to go. Exactly. I have my props. I am all set. This is this is. Um, welcome everyone. Hi. This is the mixed reviews. We are our film podcast where we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or mini genre. We take a whole month, we watch as much as we can, do as much research as possible, and we stab it all back into you. (laughs) (laughs) Not stabbing. (laughs) Um, Yes, this is. This is our famously our um, spooky ooky episode um, where I have to um, Gavin tortures me all season um, and and we watch something spooky ooky. This time it is double the trouble because we are not alone. There's a stranger in this house, but we are so uh, the call is coming from inside the house. I know. Yes, <laughs> um, we are so excited. Please welcome to the mixed reviews. It is author film girly. It is Maria Lewis. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hello. I I love that. And this is not me um, Instagram stalking, though. If I were a psycho killer, I would be Instagram stalking. Um, I, I did notice that you have on your Instagram, like, a, a great, uh, like, slideshow of all the things that you've been on where it says, uh, screenwriter, author, pop culture etymologist. Love mm. that. Love that. I also say, um, great rack shit personality, but... <laughs> <laughs> to their own i like that you were keeping it classy but yeah i mean like those are all the things that i am i'm a screenwriter in film and television by trade i started out as a journalist but i also do pop culture etymology for those who don't know is basically just the tracking through of pop culture like where did a thing come from what does it mean where is it going and then obviously the authorship which is like one of my true passions i'm the author of um 10 books i've got a best fantasy Who's 10? I know. As many as in the Saw franchise. Isn't that interesting? Iconic. Um, <laughs> me and Saw, we both started in Australia, which is cute. Um, <laughs> that is a, yeah, it's a good connection. 
It is. It is a, like people people forget that shit. Australia is really bad at supporting their own, especially supporting their own genre creatives. And Lee Winnell and James Wan, of course, who came up with Saw, um, are Aussies and made their short film here and tried to get it sold, couldn't, and then went to LA and sold it in like a weekend. And I was like, wow. boy, if that's not the Australian story in a fucking wow. nutshell, then <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what is. And the government having to pay them all this money to come back and shoot their multiple billion dollar franchises now it's like that's her story you know that's 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 who we are as a country that's it Um, we'll have we'll make like 10 incest dramas in the fucking outback but heaven forbid (laughs) the genre film that somebody actually wants to see we're gonna get into some specific genre but before we do we have a little bit of old business our last episode was all about faye dunaway the camp icon (laughs) uh what a fun episode uh, you know, we just had a blast watching for that and and, and recording. We asked you guys to go online and, re- and um, vote for your favorite Faye Dunaway um, movie. And here are the results. Uh, Chinatown came in at last place with 12%. Bonnie and Clyde with 20%. Um, and it was a race to the top. We had uh, Mommy Dearest, which I famously <laughs> said was my one-star review, came in at second yeah. place with 33%. Um, and Network, which was our, across the board, our five-star review, um, eked it out at 35%. Um, we did have someone mention that they loved the eyes of Laura Mars, which to them I say, huh, do you have any uh, Faye Dunaway favorites? Uh, well, I, I just love the no life. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that is that is a movie where you get fucked up and just like go on the roller coaster of full craziness. Um, yeah. yeah. What a, I, what, that I, was a wild I, movie. <laughs> I think the Oscars, Moonlight La La Land is my fate Dunaway moment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what a good performance. You're not wrong. <laughs> That's um, the one. She bought it, I bought it. Uh-huh. Um, okay, well, thank you, Faye Dunaway. Um, what a great episode. We're putting we her are... back in the closet with yeah, the wire hangers. <laughs> yes. And we are moving right... Not in the right... closet. <laughs> <laughs> we are moving right along Maria tell tell the listeners why we are here today what are we talking about for our annual ookie spooky episode okay so we're talking about one of my favorite subgenres of cinema ever which is slashes henceforth where we were all a bit like (laughs) 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 everyone's making air jerking off or knife gestures right now it's very cute yeah well yeah you can't tell the difference (laughs) i mean it's phallic symbolism one here one here one here whatever it takes but uh specifically (laughs) the reason you guys asked me to be on is my 10th book uh it's just my first crime novel as mentioned I've, i've written a fantasy series and i have a book for marvel and another assassin's creed novel that comes out in a few months but my very first crime book, uh, The Graveyard Shift, has just been released to the world and it is a pop cultural slasher that, you know, very much exists in the shadow of things like Wes Craven's Scream and John Carpenter's Halloween, obviously, but also speaks to the 90s slasher resurgence of which was a pivotal moment for me growing <laughs> up as a quote-unquote horror girly, um, but also being somebody who just loved the mechanics of a slasher. I think that's one mm. of the big things I'm attracted to about the subgenre is there are very clear rules as outlined beautifully by Randy and Scream. Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? Have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. 
Big no no! Big no no! dead man. Sex equals death. Okay, number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back! And then re-outlined by Randy again in Scream 2. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, Death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore. Carnage, candy. Your core audience just expects it. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever... How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. And then outlined again by other characters who are not Randy from three onwards in a less appealing way. But it's the mechanics and the structure, I think, that are so interesting. And because they're so clear... Seeing the ways that people subvert those is very, very intriguing and interesting to me. And as a woman, like we are often the ones that horror happens to within the genre. We are primarily the first victims, right? And so the archetype of the final girl and that pushing forward and pushing through post 70s, 80s into the 90s and now into this era where we're getting very, really interesting, complicated, prickly final girls that also exist in the televisual space as well. That was something that, you know, not to be a wanker and be like, if you can see it, you can be it. But the fucking hard <laughs> bang, Nev Campbell's hard bang and punching a bitch in the face and scream. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God, is this like representation matters? You know, wow. <laughs> women's stories matter. Women's stories women's- matter. <laughs> matter you know and like i'm pacifica so i didn't get to see a pacifica final girl until uh you know there's somebody inside my house from halloween season a few years ago but still it's just like the type of women that they are who have to overcome adversity i think is a big part of the reason why people are drawn to slashes but also particularly why the queer community and queer horror lovers are drawn to slashes because there is something like quite fun and camp and kitsch about the idea of the masked killer and mm-hmm. like leaning in. There's always a wise cracking best friend and people fucking with those stereotypes as well. Um, in a lot of those incredible, like, you know, happy death day is a really fun example of that. Ha- totally killer that just came out with Kieran Shipka is also like doing a subversion of that. And um, fuck, what was that Vince Vaughn movie? I feel like it's Freaky. just called Killer. Freaky, Freaky, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Freaky, which again, brilliant. Like the yeah. rules of it, what are the rules of a slasher? They're very clear. And then finding different conventions to fuck with them, whether that's time travel, whether that's body swap, whether that's like groundhog dayism, that's very appealing to me and very exciting. Yeah, totally. I famously am not a spooky bitch. Gavin is the <laughs> goody girly of us two, of us both. But um, it was very... Uh, difficult but fun to go back i mostly focused on like the golden era um Mm. just because i i did grow up with scream and i watched it and Mm. squirmed my way through i don't know how many screams (laughs) i've seen but i i i was squirming um i know what you did last summer like that was you're right like uh slasher films have become like this this subgenre has become really ingrained in pop culture and like the way it spits it back out to us um it's it's really interesting and so going back and realizing that there is so much camp like there is definitely horror mm-hmm. but like and finding like all the freaky ways that they like use to kill like these victims um what's the movie uh the the town that 
Dreaded Dawn or something. The town that dread, oh, dreaded sundown. The town that, yeah. oh my God, stop. What, With the I'm, trombone? I'm, oh my God. <laughs> what? A fascinating, because fa- the town that dreaded sundown was technically in that category of like, you have your, you know, your Halloweens, your Psychos, even your Alice, Sweet Alice, like those types of ones that were sort of like the pioneers of the genre, right? And then there was the next level, which was like your Friday the 13th, your prom nights, et cetera. And then there was like this C-grade wave of slashes of which the town that dreaded sundown was technically a part of and included things like sleepaway camp where, you know, like you have somebody getting fucking vaged to death with a curling iron, right? Like you have all these outlandish, ridiculous bits like the famous trombone death. But there's a really, and I can't believe I'm about to use this word, beautiful uh, remake of The Town That Dreaded Sundown that came out, I believe, in 2014. That is incredible. It's got Addison Timlin in it. She's amazed. And it's just, like, very, very artfully done. They kind of shoot the whole thing like a play. Like, there's these really long takes and it sort of shifts through in various capacities as they're moving through the scene. It is a banger. Highly, highly recommend. Very tonally different from the original, so don't go in expecting that. But I was like, wow, what a choice. Choices were made. Yeah. Gavin, (laughs) what about you? I know, I mean, you you live, laugh, love. This is your bag. Uh Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I remember... I was I was thinking about this, like going through all the slashers I've seen, and I I remember like sixth grade lunch table, and this girl named Heather, and I don't even remember Heather's last name, like beat by beat describing Wes Craven's New Nightmare to me, and describing Halloween Six Curse of Michael Myers to me, and I was like, I love these things, these things that I have not seen yet because I am twelve. And that was, that's my very first. And then I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, Tim, who I feel like I'm always shouting out because he showed me so many movies in his basement, which sounds creepy, but is not, (laughs) just so everybody knows. Um, But uh, truly a lot of these films I never would have seen without, without him. And, you know, anywhere from like Proto Slasher Eyeball, which is a a Lindsay uh, Giallo movie from the 70s that has maybe my favorite, um whodunit reveal in a movie ever which i will not spoil but go like seek out eyeball it's ridiculous um and so yeah like i've been a huge slasher fan since the beginning but i agree i think i think there is something you know i think that the sort of interesting bits is analyzing the way that a lot of these movies even the big budget ones even the ones that were being made by studios like are subverting expectations um you know i was i was thinking about this uh, and I know we're not even into the rewind yet, but I was thinking about this, that there is like a there's a clear line to be drawn between like Roger Corman making movies for teens. And like then we did a John Hughes episode a couple of years ago, like John Hughes making like, quote unquote, serious movies for teens. But in between there, like the only place you're really seeing teens in movies where they're being treated like people an also meet yeah. is slashers. Yeah. You know, my, my friend Tim wrote this post the other day that he, he rented some or, or brought some slasher movie that he'd never seen from the eighties. And he was like, Oh, I remember when I was a kid thinking like, this is the only movie I've seen teen girls talk to each other in. And this mm. must be what teen girls talk to each other about when boys aren't around. And I was like, mm. what an, what a smart observation because like, yeah, there's all these, you know, from like 79 until, you know, till the, the first wave of slasher dies in like the mid nineties, 
you know, it's all these like teens and like you get Mm. the original Black Christmas. There's a lot about abortion in that movie and body autonomy and, and, you know, the original interior lives in a way that I thought like that is such a good point because it's, it's the girls too, because so often it's like women are positioned as the characters of the main characters and the supporting characters. You have your final girl, you have your best friend and the inherent, like, you know, other like flow on effect of that is that they have to have lives. They right. have they to have party. Their- they want to party. Yes. They want to fuck. They want to like. They want to I mean, fuck. There's a lot. And, and uh, when I was watching these, I was like, I know a lot of like these movies, like they're, what's the central anxiety? Like the killer, like there's an anxiety amongst the people and there has to be a reason for a lot of the, the girlies at the, especially in the early days. I'm like, the anxiety is like these writers and directors being like a girl's fucking uh like the anxiety is literally <laughs> exactly. just that uh, but yeah and that and that's another thing we can get into our rewind but it's also really funny that the people who hated horror movies specifically slashers the most were conservatives when yeah. a lot of slashers were pushing the most conservative idea which is like don't drink don't do drugs don't have premarital sex like yeah. or else somebody's going to come and cut your head off and shove it in a toilet yeah where are your kids <laughs> it's but it was also one of the first genres that pretty accurately outside of something like a fucking, you know, rebel without a cause and shit that showed how teen life was. It is, right. you know, not, not to everyone. There's always like a virgin or a few virgins in the group, like debating teams <laughs> are people too. But uh, that idea of like teens drinking and smoking and being into debauchery. And I'm so glad you brought up Giallo because I feel like, Giallo as a genre had all the style and slashes had all the structure. And often when I watch yes. Giallo movies, one of the big things, like I, they're so like visually lush to look at and you want to lick them. They are just so, you know, they're <laughs> fucking gory and horrible, but like so deliciously shot and so beautifully designed. But it's oftentimes to me, the thing that is always like the sort of one step back is I can story-wise, they're never as good. The scripts aren't quite as tight. The performances and the direction and the visualization's great, but it's the scripts and the story that let me down. Whereas with slashes, honestly, so many of them look shit, you know, are not visually super interesting or they're just ugly to look at. And there's always like exceptions to that rule. And I think now we're in this really interesting era where even a budget slasher can look amazing because people are so crafty about how, how they use their money and where they get it from and how they apply it. But that was the thing that Slashes had was the structure and Giallo had all the style. And it's the merging of the two and the flow on effect of them both. That's really fascinating. With that being said, Gavin, why don't we get into the rewind? Maria, I'm I'm not putting you on the spot, but I did want to give you a moment to talk about um, Mm. the slasher genre of books because I actually all of my research was towards film and I was talking to you earlier and you brought up this idea that like there's been a big history of, of slasher novels. And so I wonder if we should talk just a little bit about that before getting into film itself. Cause it sounds like it predates. Yeah. Because essentially what it is, what is the slasher at its core? It's a crime story, right? And in its very purest form and the history of Penny Dreadfuls goes way back to turn of the century, 18th, 19th century. So not unlike an unusual genre, not something that's unheard of, but as the popular stories tended to start to become more gothic with things like Dracula, um, Frankenstein, Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Invisible Man, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, things like that. 
the slasher in literary literary form. It didn't exist. It would like it wasn't called that, but like crime stories were different. And as sort of like slashers were starting to exist on screen, things your psychos, your Texas Chainsaw Massacres, in a way even your Halloweens, there was also, it was tied in with an uptick of this literary slasher, which was sort of happening happening textually. And it was for people who had been reading things like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and were wanting to graduate into something mm. a bit saucier, a bit gorier, a bit scarier. And <laughs> it's, you know, that they were like the sort of transition books. And I know what you did last summer was that, you know, it was a literary slasher first and it changes, obviously, for the film version and the TV series version, I should say, because there's a TV series now that exists. But it was always a genre that really fascinated me because I loved Fear Street growing up, which is like for, yeah. for like has different elements. There's supernatural stories and there's, you know, quote unquote grounded ones. But those ongoing horror series were a really big deal when I was a teen and a tween. And just kind of I used of to sneak of- into my sister's room and read hers. Oh she doesn't goodness. know that. So <laughs> hi Nikki. For me, when I was coming up with the idea for writing the graveyard shift, it was inspired by specifically the 90s slasher resurgence, but also there was starting to be a few literary slashes popping back up in the market. And this is like, you know, 2010s, thereabout. And I would read them, I would get really excited to read them. And then I would get to the end and be really mad because they were all written by men who were writing under female or gender neutral pseudonyms. Because, oh. of course, the, so the, the climate had shifted enough that it's like, man, if your whole book is called The Final Girls or it's all about women and PTSD and what it means to be a, a grown lady with trauma, where were the literary slashes about women written by women for women? Like where did those exist? And so it was just really giving me the shits because I was just like, I just don't know if I can read one more fucking book about <laughs> one more literary slasher about a traumatized girly and get to the end and it's a fucking man who's like, I don't know, I believe women are people too. Isn't that important? Yeah, I'm like, I guess. <laughs> so it's, that was a big part of the driving force for me writing The Graveyard Shift, which follows uh, a woman who hosts a radio show called The Graveyard Shift. For anyone who's worked in radio, that's the slot that's usually, you know, from about 11 p.m. to about 6 a.m. onwards. It's considered like a dead zone. And on this radio show that she hosts, it's a hip hop horror show because I was always fascinated between the intersection of hip hop and horror. There's a musical subgenre called horrorcore, which Mm. is basically hip hop songs about horror. And it's bands like Ghetto Boys, for instance, are probably one of the best examples. Mind Playing Tricks on Me. It's Snoop Dogg was a part of it. Um, Grave Diggers, people like that, Exhibit, DMX, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's shifted into including more women. Meg The Stallion, Doja Cat, um, Dizzy Faye. There's a whole, and Ash Nico, there's now this whole subgenre of women who are rapping about horror movies or using horror movie tropes in their songs. And so that was sort of the space I wanted to tap into. So this overnight radio host has a Halloween show. One of the callers gets killed live on air. And it's a, without any spoilers, it's a movie-specific death. And so the main character, Tinsel Monroe, who hosts the radio show, and her sister begin this quest where they sort of like racing against time to figure out who is killing these people and why and what do movies have to do with it? How does this tie into 
pop culture and specifically Australian pop culture because the the book is set in Melbourne, which not to brag is Australia's best city, um, but it's also the birthplace. Oh, there we go. Sid, all the Sydney people are like, and unsubscribe. <laughs> oh, wow. My email's blowing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also the thing, again, I mentioned before, Australians are not very good about gassing up their own stuff and supporting you know, the amazing parts of their own culture. But the very first feature film ever made came from Melbourne. It was 1906, this movie called The Story of the Kelly Gang. And it's a bit shit because, like, how many Ned, Te- Ned Kelly stories can you watch before you're like, again, with this guy with the fucking tin on his head? But <laughs> it was this rich birthplace of cinema that is so fascinating to dive into and using the world of slashes and literary slashes to combine that with, cinema and the slashes I grew up loving was an exciting like meshing of the two and it's not to say like to be honest not everyone's um not everyone's you Gav they're not necessarily picking up the crossover (laughs) between filmic slashes and literary slashes but that stuff is there if you get it and if you don't hopefully it's still just like a compelling story regardless Gavin's reading and, it and like two more another thing- one another one another one <laughs> yes another one thank you another yeah. one um uh two more things real quick before I get fully into the history uh one thank you for mentioning uh Outcast's uh Dracula's wedding in the book oh because my God. I used Such to a good song. when I was a yeah when I was a strip club DJ I used to play it all the time um I bet and, you that uh, song went off I bet you it fucking yeah everybody would have been it like worked. on the pod. <laughs> Um, oh my god! And, uh, and if for those of you out there who are thinking of picking up the graveyard shift, and you're like, I don't know, spooky things are not for me. Maria writes one hell of a fucking love scene as well. Too there's there's more than one love scene in this book, but I was like reading it on the bus, and I was like, oh oh my, like when <laughs> like yeah. I had a friend exactly. of mine um, send me a text. He's uh, he was actually one of the technical consultants for the book because he's a, a radio show host and. Um, him and his husband were reading it like simultaneously. They were like fighting over the same copy. Anyway, so they were racing to get to it first. And I get this message from my friend Keegan and he's like, you know, I don't fuck with the straights, but I just read this sex scene and I have half a chub and girl, wow. it is hot. And I was like, it's what hot. a compliment. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, he's horny, yeah, this- you know, like the specifics are like whatever. Not here to yuck anyone's yum. So <laughs> yeah, this, this is no like... J.J.R. Martin or whatever his name is from Game of Thrones who writes like a horny 13-year-old boy. Like, these are sex scenes. It's adults. Uh, <laughs> adults. What, what, um, what, again, what's one of the defining traits of slashes? Sex. 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 And slashes are like really intermingled. It's an important piece of the genre. Yep. <laughs> so the slasher subgenre doesn't really get going till the latter half of, of last century. But I do want to just touch on some things. Um, as you mentioned, the, the the great literary tradition. I mean, people going to watch horrific acts of, of goes all the way back to ancient Rome, gladiator times, and like just watching people being torn apart by lions. Um, there's the, you know, the the French tradition of the, the grand... Uh, Guignol theater and whatnot and all of this you know when when we get cinema when we get film you get like kind of a history of this and so like 
slashers are are starting like people are laying the groundwork it's one of the earliest is uh the bat which louis and i saw the remake of the bat for a vincent price episode but mm. the original bat where it's like literally a man in a in a dressed in a bat costume um <laughs> going around murdering people uh you get val luton's the leopard man which is about a, a psycho who's like attempting to blame the deaths of sorority girls mm. on a, a loose leopard Instead of being just him. While all this is happening in Hollywood, you also get the rise of um, Krimi pictures in uh, Germany. I did not know about Krimi pictures until I started doing this uh, research for this. Germany's Krimi films and Italy's Giallo pics are some of the earliest examples of cinema that paired crime stories with a bloodshed that became a slasher genre staple. Many of the Krimi films, short for criminal film or crime film of the late 50s and 60s, are based on the works of British novelist Edgar Wallace, and like modern slasher films, often focused on elusive masked villains. In fact, in these films, the bad guys are so important that they often appear in the movie's titles. As with 1959's Face of the Frog and 1967's Creature with a Blue Hand. And what's interesting is the Italians see this, and it starts inspiring Giallo. Giallo are these cheap paperback fiction horror novels. Giallo's the Italian word for yellow or gialli, and the covers were often yellow, and then people make movies out of them. And that's why you see, like, in some of the early gialli, like, what happened to Solange is a German-Italian co-production. Because they're, like, taking these ideas of these German crime pictures, and they're making them even more brutal, but also, as Maria said, fashionable. Like, like this is the thing about giallo pictures, is they, um, they're very much like slashers, except everyone's wearing Dior. Hot. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're uh, they're more often than not like not teenagers. They are full adults and they are just on the catwalk all the time. Um I don't want to get too far into into Krimi or Giallo because I think both of those things could be their own episode. And also, I didn't get a chance to watch any Krimi pictures, but I I certainly want to now. Um but I mean, really the big year for slashers in America uh is 1960. Uh 1960 both Peeping Tom comes out and Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Michael Powell's Peeping Tom is released in England. Um, Michael Powell is very famous for making these very gorgeous, like the red shoes and uh, Tales of Hoffman. They were very theatrical, very candy colored, very bright technicolor. And what's interesting about Peeping Tom is it's like that, except it's about a man who kills women. And a lot of it is taken from his first person perspective and you get to know him and he has childhood trauma. And so it's like laying these groundwork, these pieces of groundwork for future slashers. However, it screens for critics and critics hate it. They're like, it's disgusting. It's terrible. And it basically destroys Michael Powell's career. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, two months later, saw what happened with Peeping Tom and is like, my new movie's coming out. I am not letting critics see it beforehand. <laughs> Audiences will see Psycho for the first time without critical reaction. And it's a huge success. I saw both of these movies. Thank you. Um, and, <laughs> and, and to be like, I had never, I, I maybe had seen some of Psycho. I hadn't seen all of it. Certainly hadn't seen Peep and Tom. And I was like, I thought they were both very good. I don't, I, I just can't imagine like why, you know, like, what is the big difference between the two of them? I mean, obviously, Peeping Tom is more interested in talking about, you know, uh, uh, 
the idea of like examining, looking like there's a lot of media happening in that movie and like being in front of the camera and vanity and like how that, you know, is psycho. Also, I think we have to talk about like, what the fuck does does, (laughs) like what counts as a slasher? Psycho, I think is obviously there, but like, it's very, you know, I don't know. Psycho specifically is uh, a little bit more like psychological, thrilling. Uh, it's not like there is someone out and about murdering. Like the big twist is, you know, like the the, the vibe. There is somebody out and about murdering. Her name is Mrs. Mrs. Bates. Bates. Of course. She's yeah. just wandering around stabbing people in showers. Yeah, Cutting I people guess. in the stairs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, and and by I, Mrs. Bates, I mean spoiler alert. It's it's Norman Bates. He's, yeah, it's Norman he cracked and. But it's also the difference I think between Peeping Tom and Psycho is um, the difference between the filmmakers having different types of celebrities is like mm. I think has a lot to do with the way that filmmakers themselves people knew their names, knew their lives, knew their faces, knew their voices in a way that now we maybe only have like a handful of a list directors whereas back then that was not the case but also the the star power and the added oomph and the sex appeal of psycho I think definitely was one of those things that elevated it but Alfred Hitchcock just like as much as he's like a real bit of a bastard had an amazing um (laughs) understanding of how to be a showman how to sell the film and psycho as much as like not screening to critics I think was really important into shifting the pathways of whereas peeping Tom, Tom goes left and Psycho ends up going right and they're not actually, to your point, Lewis, like that dissimilar, is also this idea of eventizing the experience of seeing Psycho. There were these huge, like, placards up at the cinemas that were like, don't spoil the ending, don't say a yeah. word, keep it secret, like, very Agatha Christie mousetrap vibes of like making the audience complicit in the experience for other people in a way that really engaged them. Some would say Psycho was the original Barbenheimer hysteria. Not I, but some. (laughs) (laughs) Experience of like everybody was talking about it and not talking about it and talking about it was simultaneously the power of that film. Louis, if you want a more strict definition for your slashers, uh, Pace Magazine's Pace Magazine's definition notes that slasher villains are human beings or were human beings at some point. Slasher villains are human killers whose actions are objectively evil because they're meant to be bound by human morality. That's the part of the fear genre that is meant to that it's meant to prey upon, the idea that the killers walk among us. Horror movies before that, the metaphors have gotten old. If you take, for example, the the Wolfman sort of the metaphor that's about fear of one's own bestiality or the 50s science fiction movies which were about the fear of science and what how that could get out of control. I think in the 80s there was a new perception that the enemy was ourselves, that the worst possible enemy was another human who had gone crazy and was whose motive was not rational, who could just come out of the blue and kill you. You're also getting exploitation films. And we talked a lot about exploitation films in our Pam Greer episode. And exploitation films, like, exist basically to show you, quote unquote, show you the things that you couldn't see in mainstream cinema. You know, the things that are outside the lines, which, like, ran the gamut of anywhere from, like, women's lib to, like, disgusting slaughter. Um, One and the same. 
one of the, yeah <laughs> of course um uh and you're also seeing the rise of like big genre filmmakers you get um west craven's the hills have eyes in 1977 you get the original texas chainsaw massacre in 1974 which is like you know doesn't fully I mean, is a slasher movie, right? But like, doesn't launch the genre in the way that um, Black Christmas will. And I guess that's where I was kind of getting us to is you get Bob Clark's Black Christmas in 1974, the same year. And this really sort of lays the groundwork for the American slasher, which is funny because it's Canadian. Uh-huh. But um <laughs> But it, but it, what it does is, this is a movie that preys upon the old urban legend of the person calling from inside the house. But the great thing that Black Christmas does uh, is presents us with a villain who is basically unknowable. Like, Black Christmas doesn't wrap itself up with any easy answers. It's basically just a the scary danger is out there. And this sort of prevalent fear is what ends up you know, helping to launch this. I mean, the next big thing in in the lineage is Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, 1978, which basically comes about because John Carpenter has a conversation with Bob Clark, and he's like, "What would what would you do in like a sequel to Black Christmas?" And Bob Clark's like, "Oh, I'm not doing that, but if I did," mm. and John Carpenter's like, "Cool, here's my movie." <laughs> There's so many of like girlies in the dorm. Um, or girlies yeah. in the house, and I was like, I and I and you know I liked majority of them. You know, I think again, no, but you're not wrong. They, they, they <laughs> kind that of was also to- that that was like a um that was like a real trend because of pop culturally in crime. There was like Ted Bundy had just escaped from prison yep. and killed a bunch of sorority sisters. Richard Speck had just broken into a nurse sorority house and killed a bunch of women. It felt like the odds of you getting killed by a random psycho who comes literally out of the fucking blue and murders you yeah. and your 11 friends felt very prevalent in a way yeah. that it's exactly. not necessarily prevalent in 2023. And then that bleeds into all of the sort of, not all of that, but like a lot of the horror movies from that era then all start to be about like, there's fucking someone inside the house and like this person right. is coming to get you. That is you know, also a product of our media at the time, because like media is becoming a much more like people are watching the news, the nightly news, and there's constantly store. And like, as somebody who used to work in the news, like you have to fill up an hour or whatever, I mean, 24 hours sometimes depending. And so like any story of like, these people were injured, there was this person, they get put out there and the people watching it at home, like, get scared and they they start relying on this news more and more and so like that pays off in the fictional realm as well right and and black christmas they never find him in the house right no that's what's great about it is right yeah he's the unknowable i i kind of actually really like the this like sub sub genre of like girlies in the house and like things have gone awry and that still goes on today like i think bodies 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 is like a really good um version of this i i actually quite like that especially because like you just get all these girlies with all those personalities and like like in black christmas they are um girls who are not afraid to tell you what they are up to hello Hello? Look, who is this? Please. 
get that when it comes to like the 90s slasher resurgence too. If like you think of the finale of Scream is a bunch of girlies in a house. Girlies and guys and gays. Um, Stu is like not canon gay, but like we know, you know. Uh, (laughs) We know. Wink. We know those those sweaters and that obsession with Billy, like, come on, you know, he is us. But when when he um, tells when he tells Billy he's gone too deep, we know. We know what we know. We know. Oh my god, such a great subtext there. But like the slashes always ending up their finale at like a big house party or a house party being one of the staple sort of big set pieces of the genre. And all the screen movies, that's the case, but also um Urban Legend, similar vibe. There's somebody inside your house from 2021. This starts to be this trend where it's like they're always, not always, but there is usually a moment where there's somebody's winking back to that origin of a bunch of people inside a house, which I love because it's it's fun, it's self-contained, but it's also had this um this like the way it was explained to me once by Lee Winnell, who uh, this was on the set of Invisible Man, he was saying to me that part of the reason what's so scary about, or like for him, the idea of how that movie was constructed, what scared him was this idea that the scariest thing happens inside your home or happens like in your bedroom, the place where you're supposed to feel safest. And that is a thing that slashes are constantly tackling and really like confronting head on is this subversion of safety. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Right. I watched um, When a Stranger Calls and I was like, Mm. Which I love, which I think is great. But I was like, is that a slasher? He's he's terrorizing this one woman, and yeah. he's not like killing a bunch of people. No, that and then counts. I also- and I- <laughs> immediately, no, it counts. <laughs> when a stranger calls, though, I will say, like, you're on the money, honey, because it's also like the longer that plot unravels, um, it's actually that that person has come from elsewhere. You know what I mean? Like, it's like this isn't the very first time they've attacked this particular person, but. When a Stranger Calls, I don't know if you saw the Netflix film Hush by Mike Flanagan, who's obviously, yeah. yeah, yeah. But Hush is very like when a stranger calls, but the main character is deaf. And so this killer has killed the neighbors, but there's only really two of them. And he's only concerned with terrorizing this one woman. But it's like, it's for all intents and purposes, it's very much the mechanics of when a stranger calls in a way that I'm like, what a fun, I mean, fun for murder, but like, what a fun update of a classic, (laughs) you know? Because the when a stranger calls remake was like, not great. I can come in anytime I want. I can get you anytime I want. But I'm not going to. Not until it's time. When you wish you're dead, that's when I'll come inside. Do you understand me? Nod your head if you understand me. Good. Then we can have some fun. But yeah, so I guess there's, even though many times it's lots of murder, sometimes it's just a little bit of murder. And if you're doing <laughs> your job right, like one murder can feel just as impactful, you know? Yeah. Like it's, yes. it's harder, but like it can be done if you're constructing that story well. Totally. Um, we've discussed the making of Halloween ad nauseum. We did a Jamie Lee Curtis episode. We did a John Carpenter episode. But needless to say, like... Halloween's done on the cheap. It was being produced by Syrian American producer Mustafa Akkad, and it uh, was 
co-produced by Deborah Hill, RIP. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I don't really know how much more to say about Halloween, but it, it just lays the groundwork. Laurie Strode yeah. is sort of, I mean, there's even a reference to Laurie Strode in your book, Maria. Like, Laurie Strode is the ultimate final girl, and what makes her so great is she just jamie lee curtis just feels so real in that role like and you may watch it now and maybe like i don't know if she's really a teenager but like but the way she's acting like it 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 feels very real and you also feel the fear and on the reverse side of that like michael myers being this unknowable killer like even though you know who he is you know he's like quote unquote a person but you have like dr loomis constantly running around being like he's evil he has the black eyes <laughs> ah! and uh, you know, he's just this blank, expressionless, like, seemingly unstoppable, but yeah. also very human antagonist. And from there, you know, like, once that gets popular, you you start getting other things. The, um, you know, the Toolbox Murders came out, which was a kind of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre riff. Um, you get The Fun House, which actually is not a movie I particularly like. Um I think it's a little mean spirited, <laughs> but uh, I know that sounds crazy from like a, sla- a slasher perspective. No, um, I, 17... I, I, that doesn't sound crazy at all. I think you can feel it. Like I don't know. Yeah, it, maybe it's like maybe it's because we're viewers that are stereotypically othered. But like I think anybody who's ever been othered, othered if you're watching a slasher, you can feel the ones that have a mean spirit. <laughs> Yeah, I think also it's important to, you know, you're Australian, but I'm sure there was uh, reverberations of this. You know, Ronald Reagan begins his presidency in 1980 and like the U.S. turns way back towards conservatism. Um, And because of that, I think there was this idea. I mean, nothing happens right away ever in time but i think there was this idea of like pushing against it and being rebellious and also movie producers are seeing that these movies are making money so that's when Mm. you get 1980s friday the 13th Mm. friday the 13th starts a massively long running slasher series first film pamela Voorhees, jason mom is the villain um that's not a spoiler if you've seen scream you know that (laughs) and um the the next nine films plus versus Jason plus a remake. Jason is uh, the, the main villain, you know, and he's famous for wearing his hockey mask, which he gets in the third movie, the 3d film. I had no idea about any of this. I watched the first one and I was like, huh, Jason (laughs) is not here. The phone rang and my agent said, how would you like to do a movie? I said, great. That'll pay for the car that I want to buy. And he said, well, now there's just one other thing I have to tell you. He said, it's a horror film. And I said, oh, no. So the script came and I read it and I said, what a piece of... What monster could have done this? And I said, oh, nobody is ever going to see this. It will come and it will go and I'll have my Scirocco. I focused on this era, um, like I said, and, you know, the, it was, I saw Alice Sweet Alice, which I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, my goodness, the children. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it does have a rare child death, which most, most of the um, time child death is off limits in, stra- right. in slashers. They're just, it's, it's like it was, too, a step too far. Yeah. V- uh-huh. Like very, very shocking um, for sure. Uh, 
I also saw The Prowler, which feels very Reagan shit, um, because it's <laughs> like, he was off at war, um, and he's back, and his girly didn't wait for him, um, which, you know, just feels uh, like uh, aggressively um, conservative type stuff. Alice Sweet Alice, and then The Prowler, though, and I was thinking about these, too, I think because of the like influence of exploitation on the slasher genre, you're getting subjects that perhaps you don't normally get to discuss in a big budget mainstream film. Alice Sweet Alice is, for all intents and purposes, a very anti-Catholic movie. Yeah. It's a movie about how religion fucks you up. And The Prowler is a movie about PTSD in a time in which we were not talking about PTSD yeah. at mm-hmm. all. That like going to war is gonna fuck you up when you see a lot of your friends exploded you see their insides on the outside and i'm not saying every soldier comes back a murderer but like they're trying to touch on these topics but also exploit them but there was that make money that whole era too of um you know halloween was a being about white flight according to carpenter like that was one of his big motivations of of that particular film they were tackling those subjects where it wasn't quite safe to do so in the mainstream cinema it was being done in genres like slashes and exploitation action movies yeah, yeah it also just feels like there, there's consequences for bad behavior consequences uh-huh. for being you know right or wrong like consequences for being promiscuous but also i, I guess keep seeing like fucking bullies they're gonna die you motherfuckers yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of movies it's don't like don't be a bully yeah, don't be a bully um, in, in a lot of ways. And sometimes the bully is the Catholic Church. You know, like, it's, there's just so many, I mean, and that, Alice Sweet Alice really wants you to believe that that fucking child is a murderer, they said. <laughs> yeah. Because she's, she's, she's not nice. Um, She, like, doesn't like going to church or whatever. And they're like, yeah, she's a killer. It, it's crazy. But um, who, is, is it a tiny Brooke <laughs> I, Shields in that movie? Yeah, oh it's God, like her baby. first or second movie. Yeah, These movies were not just being called out for, and I don't know how right or wrong these were, because a lot of these are ones I have not seen because I'm not solely composed of time. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, like Gordon Willis's Windows was uh, protested because of its um, uh, equa- equating homosexuality with psychosis. Mm-hmm. And New Year's Evil, Don't Go in the House, Don't Answer the Phone were all low budget films that were called out for misogyny um for because basically they were like well only women will suffer like women will suffer exclusively Mm. and so like i i don't want to make it sound like you know slashers were this liberal bastion uh, of forward thinking but like just know that there there was space to talk about some of these things just as there was space for them to get it wrong Right. Well, a lot of these girlies in the house movies that I really like, I'm like, oh, we are lingering in the shower. We are, you know, there is a lot. Well, they, that, and that is, that is absolutely the the roger corman aesthetic where, where roger corman was like not to say that he did slashers or anything but like you know he uh he was always like you can put 
whatever liberal message you want in the film, and I want you to, as long as there's like some scenes of somebody getting stabbed and some boobs, like, and that's. But you it's know, also the thing of like who who are making who's making these movies? They're sure. being written yeah. by men. They're being directed men? by men, and they're largely being seen by both, which I always find so fascinating because the the breakdown in demographics for slashes is not like 50-50, but it's like 60% men, 40% women. And that has pretty much always been that way. But it's why something like Deborah Hill, you know, RIP to a real one, and Mustafa, who also passed away. But there's a reason I think Halloween in part stands out a little bit more compared to the other slashes of that time period is like, Deborah Hill wasn't fucking chilling in a trailer, like smoking a diary and having a, like a, a chill time. She was actively right. working and actively making sure that there were there were narratives being pushed through in the script. Okay, does Halloween 1978 hold up to today's standards of like gender dynamics and racial dynamics? Fucking no. no. But you can't, I don't think, necessarily judge a film that was made in that specific time to a standard that we have now because they're different things and so even you look at slashes today and with the exception of like American Psycho which again that comes into that territory of like does that function of the slasher I would maybe lean more towards that being like a psychological thriller but there just aren't that many made by women still there are quite a few now that are written by women but even somebody like uh, Christopher Landon like the reason I think his films pop and the reason they're exciting and interesting and happy death day and freaky and why I'm so excited about him coming on board to do scream is just like, it's a different voice. It's the queerification of a classic subgenre, and that makes a difference. It like, it changes the game in a way that, you know, people always talk about representation being like a hand holding exercise, but I'm like, actually, do you want your stories to evolve? <laughs> do you yeah, want your right, stories right. to be interesting and better? Like something like The Blackening? Exciting. That doesn't get made by white people. Like it's made by black right. people. We can't all die first, you know? Funny. Objectively a great tagline. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Maniac. Let's do it. <laughs> let's well, let's get it out on the floor. Well, is Maniac your one star? I'm so curious. No, no, no. I well, just, I, I, I think Maniac, um, I was like, oh, we are... Number one, not only knowing who the killer is, but we are hanging out. We are mm. following her around. And on mm. top of that, I was like, oh, like a lot of these movies, you know, end up being like, oh, this person is crazy and crazy people murder. And that's like a really fucking horrible, mm. you know, like reductive thing. Yeah. This movie, though, is like he is very clearly mentally unwell. And this mm. movie to me was like they're not they're not afraid to be like he has no resources. No one is helping this man who has fallen through the cracks. And clearly he is seeing visions and and things that are haunting him that happened when he was a child. And uh, the movie, I, I think the ending is just so great and, and really decides to like fucking go there and like kind of gets into like the supernatural of it all. Like and, and not, it's not just like, oh, here's a crazy man and he killed women. It's like, well, let's let's really get into why. And um I don't know. It, it really just turns the entire genre for me on its head. I, I was I was kind of um, yeah, flabbered. I mean, and, and especially because it, it is brutal. Like it, it, I was like, oh, these fucking women are like, he's is he scalping them? Is that what he does? Yeah, he was scalping them and then taking their scalps and putting them on mannequins. It's crazy. <gasps> yeah. I don't know. There's a remake um, that Elijah Wood plays yes, the uh, yeah, yeah. the aphetitled maniac. 
that they tone down the scalping, but it is just as brutal as the original. Like it is really, like really, really tough. A tough hang, as some would say. I was I was shocked that because I do have such a soft spot for the original Maniac that I liked the remake. I was feeling bad. I was like, oh, this man needs help. Like, and yeah. I felt like this movie is also making an indictment to like mental health care. Like, you know, yeah. And, and See? clearly, he, you get to talk about the things that you can't talk about. <laughs> and, cle- and clearly, though, he is doing horrendous things. Like, it is. I cannot stress enough. I was like, <laughs> oh my, oh my god. Um, but. But also, like, how often do we see where these killers live and where they go home after, you know, these things happen? And so I was just so shocked. Like, this this is not too far down the line of, of, you know, uh, the genre and they're already subverting it in in really interesting, cool ways. So, yeah, I like Maniac quite a lot. You can lock your doors, but you can't lock the madman out of your mind. 1981 you get my bloody valentine which was an attempt to create another like long-running slasher genre it sort of fails in that aspect but people love this movie but it was also like one of the first really ripped to shreds by the mpa in america like it was very heavily edited the death scenes were cut in a way to you can find the unrated now on any dvd and i just want to name a couple also from 1981 final exam bloody birthday hell night don't go into the woods alone west craven's deadly blessings which i have seen before uh graduation day uh and hell night you get the original prom night uh another jamie lee curtis vehicle yes. um not nowhere near as good as halloween uh house on sorority row which we talked about would you like to talk about that more i uh, that I just I I like I like how ridiculous House on Sorority Road like the the in a way it it has a very similar setup to I know what you did last summer but with less uh, repentful characters. <laughs> Sorority Row is essentially what Pretty Little Liars is like. For mm. there's a whole generation of people who've never watched Sorority Row and probably never will. Oh, that's but funny. What they will have seen is Pretty Little Liars and like linking the two things and linking that sort of the subgenres that with exist within and sort of speak to each other textually and subtextually is really interesting. But that as like slashes by the end of the eighties, slashes are for all intents and purposes dead until 1996. And it's very yeah. funny. Well, not funny, but very interesting that it's like, they get more and more insane. <laughs> yeah. They get yeah. crazier and crazier and crazier. And then yep. genre explodes with things like Silence of the Lambs and the original Candyman as these like elevated, well, they didn't use that term then, but like essentially elevated horror movies. And it, it feels like a direct reaction to just how fucking ridiculous horror and slashes were getting towards like the latter end of that decade. It's not as prevalent between 84 and 94. Mm. Like, mm. that's where it really moves into direct-to-video. And so, like, the the big ones that sort of hit are, you know, Paramount really wants to phase out their Friday the 13th movies. So they do Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which is part four. As I mentioned, there's ten of these. But that, that was the one that was going to kill off Jason. Um mm. Also in 1984, you get Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And it like re-sparks briefly, however briefly, but it is the, uh, you know, we've mentioned before, it's the house that 
uh, it builds New Line Cinema. It's their yeah. big hit for New Line Cinema in a way that they'd never had before. It's the house that Freddie built. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody knows the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy mm-hmm. Krueger is a child mur- murderer, heavily implied molester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is so, uh, again, is- really fascinating because they bury that as a bait and switch too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the mystery of like, is he though? And then no, 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 he fucking yeah. is. But like just yeah. this whole idea of like, can your parents be trusted? Like none of the parents right. believe the kids. And it's like, I don't know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hellraiser, as it's starting to get into child's play even, as it's starting to get yeah. into that area of like higher concept genre conceits. It's very, very fun. That's just not reality, Nancy. It's real, Mama. Feel it. Give me that damn thing. It even has his name written in it. Fred Krueger, Mom. Fred Krueger. Do you know who that is, Mother? Because if you do, you better tell me because he's after me now. Nancy, trust your mother for once, please. You'll feel better when you get some sleep. I had never, I think, seen the entirety of either Nightmare on Elm Street or Child's Play. Especially in Child's Play, I was like, there is some (laughs) African kooky-bookiness. It's really unfortunate because they wrote themselves into a hole with that, and it still exists on the Chucky TV show. And every time they bring up, and like, literally, I just watched the latest episode, and they were still talking about voodoo, and I was like, we gotta find a way out of voodoo. The Child's Play remake with Aubrey Plaza, I thought was great. And they don't need any of that. I did not. Oh, funny. They didn't. They didn't use any of the like voodoo nonsense. No. It's just like you know, um, uh, computers are bad, um, which you know, which I quite like. Fair. So Silent Night, Deadly Night, nineteen eighty four, um, and ends up being kind of a, a sticking point for the genre because it's the first time people truly, truly turn out to protest in a large way because essentially the Catholic League was like, "How dare you do this to Christmas? Like this is a, a holiday for children." Even though there had already been Christmas horror right. movies, I mean, I uh, Christmas Evil is one of my favorites. Like, but uh, is this, this the era you of know, like, Satanic Panic vibes? Yes, yeah, definitely, well, yeah. Um, and and so like people very upset about this, and like Silent Night Deadly Night's not great. I mean, you want camp? Watch the second one, but the <laughs> the first one is fine. Uh, but yes. And then you get things like the, you know, Sleepaway Camp, which is, as Maria said, kind of like, a, you know, there's like B, B-list movies. This is a, kind of a C-list movie. It maybe was even direct-to-video here. I'm not positive on that. It it's, was direct-to-video here for sure. It was banned for a while, Sleepaway A lot of yes. those, like, Australia um, had, had like a lot of issues with censorship and things like that during the Ausploitation era, which is so interesting. And I also think that's why Australia has a lot of stuff as it pertains to cultural cringe and why we're like genre averse, um, even though that's like what audiences want. But Sleepaway Camp was the one that it was like, this is, it was that and Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. They're banned. It's like you had to have some, <laughs> you had to know somebody who knew somebody who could get it in. And we have all these companies yeah. now that have bubbled up that all got their you know, fucking roots in the business in the 80s by essentially being a pathway for getting an illegal DVDs, you know? Wow. Like things oh, that's like funny. Na- yeah. So like um Nailgun Massacre, which was a film right around this era that was like an also very bad, wouldn't recommend. But stuff like that was would get smuggled into Australia and Sleepaway Camp was like the title that everybody wanted. 
Sleepaway Camp and also um, The Burning, which came out in 1981. Um, yes. The, there, there is a rich culture of uh, camp slashers um, from, you know, <laughs> Friday the 13th and, and all and by, that. And by camp, you mean like going to the woods, pitching going a tent. Going into the woods, pitching a tent, <laughs> like... et cetera, et cetera. Um, I... I, st- I didn't watch The Burning for a long while because I heard it was so gory. And then I watched it and I was like, <laughs> it's kind of a sleigh. Sleepaway Camp, also, I would say campy. Specifically yeah. the aunt who is like mm-hmm. sending the kitties off. Um, maybe the most shocking movie I saw. Or the most like gagged I was watching any of these movies. Um, not only because of the reveal of the killer, but like... The very, very late game, like, sexual politics of this movie. Um, yes. I, and I, I immediately was like, I need to Google what the girlies think of this movie. And it seems to be still so... Um, like, you can't pin this it's movie down. It's very polarizing. Yeah, you can't pin this movie yeah. down. There are people who think it is, you know, transphobic. There are people who think it's, um, you know, great. And, and, and not at all. And I think there are people from within the community... That, you know, think it is, you know, um, uh, really good representation. There are people who think it's horrible representation. Like, I, but again, like, I and think. And then there were people who were literally dressed as the characters yeah. at New York Comic Con just a few yeah. weekends ago. Like I the way it. this film has like stayed in the culture is insane. Yeah. And the ending is so shocking because it gives you no time to decompress. <laughs> the, no. The, the reveal happens. The crazy face is made and it's like, boom, credits. And it's like, what has happened? Angela, are you all right? Angela, are you okay? Angela, can you hear me? You're going to enjoy living with us so much. Yes, I know you are. As a welcome home present, I bought you such wonderful new clothes. I just hope that Richard doesn't get jealous that I didn't get him anything. Oh, but then he is such a dear. I'm sure that he won't mind. You see, I've always wanted a little girl. I had no concept at that age. Like, what? I was playing what? No one really told me. I went and saw it and went, whoa. Beyond the shocking nature of the movie, I, you know, I, I quite like, you know, the idea of young adults going to a camp it's about growing up. It's adolescence. Like you're figuring yourself out. You're like, you, you're um, figuring out your sexuality. You're like talking to girls, talking to boys, you know, having to stand up to the bully. Like there is so much going on internally. I think it is just like a really ripe space for, you know, like there's already baked in anxiety. We also haven't talked about a lot of these movies. um, The structure is like, the cold open is like a bad thing happens, a murder happens, and then it's like ten years later, like there's an activation yeah. <laughs> of 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 um, anniversary, um, and the burning is it, it does that. Um, your book, uh, Maria, with like the cold open of like the I was like, oh my god, like are there scream famously, you scream. know, like there. I was just gonna say scream. I think is like yeah. because where scream sits, uh, like at the sort of start of like maybe could this is this something is like kind of screams vibe but where's at craven's understanding of like all slashes kickstart after some other terrible event so it yeah. being right on the anniversary of maureen prescott's rape and murder is like 
fascinating that when I watched Scream yeah. for the first time, I didn't understand that as a genre device. And now once you're right. like deep into the weeds, you're like, oh, okay, this is actually something that's quite pivotal and important. I know what you did last summer, Urban Legend, same deal. Yep. The um I do also just want to give a shout out to Pieces, which is an 80s horror film that's actually a Puerto Rican production that was filmed in Spain and Boston and <laughs> is it like starts. I know that's I, this is why I love slashers, because it's like, what? And that movie sure. is famous for the uh, a line delivery in which a woman is like, while we were out here fumbling with that music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her. Bastard! As we were mentioning, you know, end of 80s comes around. There's all these long running series. They're coming to an end. And why are they coming to an end? Because the box office receipts aren't there. And then 1994's Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which like isn't a massive hit, but it starts a rumble. Mm. It's like a the first like mainstream self-reflexive slasher and sort of like lays the groundwork for something like Scream where it's like. But instead, it's the actors from Nightmare on Elm Street being in a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Um, it feels very it's much re- like, I know I already used this phrase, but that whole idea of like, I knew Nightmare had to walk so Scream could run. Like yes, all of the absolutely. kinks that he's trying to figure out get figured out <laughs> by the time he gets to Scream and you can still see his working on the paper in New Nightmare. And and like you mentioned, you know, because of the Silence of the Lambs in 91, really like giving that quote unquote mm-hmm. elevated horror and then coming off the back of New Nightmare, 1996's Scream is here. And mm-hmm. I think everybody knows at this point what Scream is. You know, it's a slasher movie about a, a young girl who her and her friends are being taunted by a mysterious phone caller who shows up wearing a ghost mask and stabs them to death. And there's the reasons for it, as we've previously mentioned. But yeah, but it's also because, like you said, the cast is amazing. The dialogue is so sharp. Some of that dialogue is still so sharp. I mean, just like, and like even the like little fun moments when they're just playing around with each other where he's like, I said, liver alone, <laughs> liver alone. Get like, it? <laughs> I can't get over the fact of like, your dad died last year. Get over it. When are you going to be over it? <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not even that like, okay, my, it's, it's not just the, like someone died. It's that her mother was raped, uh-huh. murdered. Raped. She's uh-huh. a key linchpin witness in the trial of yeah. a nation that sends a man to jail. And like, there's a book about it already. Like it is nuts, a nuts scenario for a kid <laughs> yeah. to go through. And like, she's so seemingly normal. And he's like, yeah, babe, like my parents divorced too. You just got to get over it. Kind of like yeah. fuck you under your 90. And it's yeah, like, yeah. crazy. Gnarly. Gnarly. So hectic. So hectic. No, it's been a year. Tomorrow. One year tomorrow. I know what, I think it's time you got over that. I mean, when my mom left my dad, I accepted it. It's the way it is. She's not coming back. Your parents split up. This is not the same thing. Your mom left town. She's not lying in a coffin somewhere. Okay, 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 I'm sorry. It's, it's a bad analogy. But it's just that I want my girlfriend back. So I know you did like last summer comes out in 97. Mm-hmm. Scream 2 also comes out in 97. I saw both of those in the theaters, which means adults had to go with me (laughs) to get me in to them. 
bananas. I think this, again, Scream being as good as it is, is one of the things that gets often overlooked about it is how fucking good Scream 2 is and how quickly it came after the original Scream. And it's like Scream was a mate. I think Scream is, you know, if I had to do my definitive rankings of the of Scream, it's like Scream and Scream 2 and then everything else like in, you know, various orders from there. But Scream had the benefit of being a surprise, of being unexpected, of not having any weight on it, right? And so it was this yep. big hit and was amazing and blah, blah, blah. Scream 2 has the harder task of being accelerated through development, accelerated through production, and having to grapple with not only the huge expectations, but the significant box office that was still happening. Scream was still VHSing, right. doing its thing as Scream 2 came out. And that sequel is genuinely so good, so scary, has lots of inventive set pieces, really plays with the rules of sequels and sequel them, but then also has some great, like the Randy death scene, for instance, that happens during the day. It's very hard to do a horror movie that's scary in daylight hours and not for one moment does I feel Wes Craven or Kevin Williamson like let their foot up off the gas. Like they are just right. absolutely fucking cooking. And the cast is too. I don't know if a woman has ever looked hotter in my life than Nev Campbell looks in that movie. And like they got Jerry O'Connell just at the right moment, you know, like there's yes. just a few beats <laughs> that are just like really fucking great. And Kevin Williamson wrote, I know what you did last summer too. And so you have that, like that similar sort of like zip that he had with Dawson's Creek. He really was like, he was the teen girl, good teen girly at the moment because he was doing all the teen <laughs> stuff. But there's just something about, I know what you did last summer is fun, but it is much more of a melodrama than yeah. Scream, yes. which is always consistently funny, but also the world is just so interesting because it does that progressing thing of we start in Woodsboro, which is small, and then we move to a college campus. And I know what you did last summer is like, we're a coastal town. And then it's like, and we're a coastal island. <laughs> it's yes. like, okay, we get it. There's always <laughs> going to be wet stuff. I understand the premise. <laughs> it's it's funny. Um, and I think this goes back to something Louie and I were talking about uh, before, which I also think with the thing that, Kevin Williamson does so well, and I think it truly reverberates into slashers going forward, is he creates characters that are really likable. And I think one of the the, the problems is, especially with the, the slasher as a franchise, is like you kind of have to root for the character's deaths. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as the franchises go on, it starts to focus more and more on the killers themselves and less mm -hmm. on the victims. And so then you're you know, really rooting for like Freddy to pop up and, and kill people in an inventive way instead of like wanting these people to make it out of the film and, and rooting right. for them. And right. I think Kevin Williamson does a really good job. I mean, I remember when Randy died in Scream 2 and like the backlash Ugh. that occurred to that. Ugh. And and it's, but I think there's a power in killing those characters. And it's certainly something that the newer Scream movies could learn because there's yes. characters that should be fucking dead. But the, and it's also but, the struggle that the Scream franchise had with after they killed Randy, finding a Randy substitute, like finding somebody yes. who was as, again, like the problem with the lightning in the bottle cast is like you leave the original Scream movie, there's like three, four people who survive out of a cast of like 12, right? They actually right. kill the characters off. And for the audience to believe that your world is compelling and authentic and has stakes, 
you have to kill characters. It's hard to see your favorites get got, but at the same time, fucking pick up a rom-com Ben. You know what I mean? Or like right, pick right. up a different genre. These these are the the tenants that make it what it is. This is the era um, when like I was watching the screams. I watch I've I have seen at least the first three screams. I mm. saw both um I know what you did last summer's, but this was and I realized I was like I hate this actually. Why this is it, because, <laughs> because they are so scary. Like I think you know people like people on Twitter now are like, oh, lol. I'm gonna go see the scream. It's so fun. This and that. And I'm like, yes, but when you're like in middle school watching this, it is so frightening. And and I remember all my like straight bro friends were like, <laughs> pussy. Like you know. And I'm like, yeah, yes, correct. I don't. I did it, it. They are. <laughs> it is actually you know like. I mean, I, just like really not just thrilling, but like ho- horrifying, you know, and um, watching watching back now as an adult and, and, you know, especially watching like the 80s stuff. It's it's like, oh, silly. It is silly. It is fun. But the reality of of Scream and I know what you did last summer, it, it, it is so close I, it, to me at the time. It has felt very close to like, you know, um, and and this is and this is where the, the Louis and I never fully meet which is that people like to get scared they yep, that's why no. these movies work and not that's me. why they exist yeah i was gonna say louis it's okay my boyfriend's the same way like he's like no Couldn't i don't be like me. being scared but <laughs> but I, never lo- be me. I love i love that little rush of being like huh like oh yeah but i also you've seen we've seen kind of scary movies together louis and you know my reaction is laughing oh my god we watched it together i was inside the seat and you were laughing 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 i was like i'm gonna kill kevin (laughs) 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 Um, but uh but yeah i mean and so because of because of these these new age slashers it revitalizes the older age slashers you slashers wow you get legacy sequels like halloween h2o 20 years later the following sequel to that halloween resurrection jason x freddy versus jason and and 2003 you get movies that play with the genre but aren't exactly slashers things like final destination where there is no killer but the killer is death yeah you know or like as the aforementioned american psycho where it's like is this a slasher is this not a slasher like it's got the hallmarks but it's doing something very different and then you get kind of um the you get I mean, certainly a return to low budge. I mean, the low budge was always there, but like people are paying more attention to him, like wrong turn, which uh-huh. like wasn't a huge box office success. It got like it did 2.5 million tickets. But because of that, that was enough to launch several straight to, uh-huh. to video sequels. We watched wrong you know? turn and oh my God, horrifying, horrifying. <laughs> so scary. Like these movies. So you're like, ah, that's okay. You know, whatever. And then you stop paying attention and outside of stuff like Final Destination and Saw, what both of those have in common is that there's 86 entries in the franchise, right? But then like you're at wrong turn like 82 or whatever and you're like, what? Right, How right. many turns are there? Like shit, <laughs> like you just, you start, you blink for a second and then they're just like, there's six lost boys, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. really wild to think yeah. that. Yeah, and and there's like all these offshoots that occur in other countries. There's the the new French extremity, which, by the way, Louis, if you mm. think like slasher, like new French extremity is my line, where I'm like, no, don't thanks. get him into like, martyrs. Martyrs is not. Yeah, a don't time. get him. <laughs> exactly. I I was like, I don't need to see this. I'm fine. Um, but yeah, and then and then kind of what happens because these things are making money is you move into 
the remakes and reboot eras. Nightmare on Elm Street gets a remake. Friday the 13th gets a remake. You get even further legacy sequels for the Halloween films. Halloween, Halloween ends and our Halloween still happening and Halloween. It was yesterday kills, and whatever uh, yeah. kills. Thank you. That's the one in the middle, um, which I don't know how anybody feels about the Halloween remakes. I was not the biggest fan, but I no, they I lost me immediately. Yeah, they I I love the attempt at what they did with Laurie Strode, but I think the the most brilliant thing that they did is very early on in the first one, there's the two podcasters that go and talk to her. And oh they're God, like, I think you're about to have the same issue as I do because Lewis really? mentioned it earlier oh. as well. No, you continue with your bait and then I'll just come in as a call and response. Well, they're, they're basically like, you, you know, like this thing happened to you all the years ago, like you, you know, and you got divorced. And, blah, blah. and she's like, this man killed like four of my friends and I've had like a couple bad marriages and I'm the basket. Ki- like, why aren't yeah. you like, mm-hmm. why do you care mm-hmm. about what's going mm-hmm. on in his brain and not the the victims? And I was like, such a salient point. This is my problem with true crime is so much of it focuses on the perpetrator and not the victims and what's happened since then. And then the movie immediately jettisons it. It's like, it's like, cool. We got the idea out. Great. We don't need to talk about it anymore. Well, so my beef was the whole thing where you were talking was about like what makes something a slasher and if you don't kill that many people is it even a slasher and I'm like yes I think all you have to do is be trying to kill one for it to qualify but you know it doesn't always have to be a mass serial killer it can just be like somebody in pursuit of another person I think is like one of the defining traits of but in the Halloween reboots one of the or re-reboots I should say because obviously there was the Rob Zombie ones before that but it really fucking jerked my gherkin when they were like, okay, so nothing except the first Halloween counts, okay? And you're like, okay, yeah. fine. Yep, that's cool. If that's what you want to do, all good in the hood. And then they have all of this, like, hysteria and weight and podcasting and obsession with Michael Myers, the killer, except per the events of the first film, he really only killed, like, four people, which to me is like, that's right. a bad day. Anybody could kill four people if your day goes wrong. And... <laughs> So it was like they wanted all of the weight and expectation that the audience had of Michael Myers that they get from knowing films one to eight exist or whatever, but without any of that. And I was like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. He either killed four people or he killed 40 and all those other events count. And I just thought that Halloween H2O did a much better job earlier and first of trying to do the same things that the new three Halloween movies were trying to do about um, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis give here trauma, women's trauma, trauma, <laughs> trauma, trauma, trauma. It's about trauma. Trauma. <laughs> trauma. And you do occasionally get like things that are interested in playing with the genre. I think your next is a great subversion of mm. the slasher genre where essentially like the the lead girly becomes the killer. Like mm-hmm. um, I have never and- rooted so hard for a final girl in my life. <laughs> I was like, I love her. Also, um, again, that was, again, I saw I saw that in the theater. It was so good. Uh, also, what a fun I, time. I, also, like in this modern era with like trying to subvert, I I love and, and your next and, and ready or not also plays with this is like straight um life marriage is a fucking trap and a horror story like and and your next i thought did that so so well because this motherfucker i i would 
that movie is a very like kind of Russian doll of like who you think is the actual big bad. And when you finally get to like, you know, the actual guy, I was like, straight people are sick in the head. And like, this girlie is a badass bitch who does not need that fucking guy. Um, yeah, you're next. Son- tons of fun. This wasn't a random attack, okay, Felix. Okay, okay. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Our family speaks. Australian survivalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I also really like uh, two others that sort of play uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which I've not seen since it came out, but I remember mm-hmm. it being Cute. just a fun time. Yeah. Um, and the Final Girls, which I don't know how I don't know if you saw that, Maria, because I know oh, that you've seen stop. Totally Killer. Of course Killer. I did. Of course yeah, I did. I, I think that's what kept me from really loving Totally Killer because I did feel like they are different, but I did feel like mm. they're so close. They are so close. And also um, the, like the totally killer feels very much within the formula of happy death day and freaky of like, guys, we've figured this out perky blonde at the front and center. And we have this 90 minute window and we're in and we're out and we have these beats and these characters, which I love. It's a comfort blanket. I always get excited when there's something like that pumping out. I'm keen. I'm interested. I'm involved. However, Final Girls is actually quite heady and the things that it's tempting to do. about It made me cry. Oh, me too. About like matriarchal (laughs) storytelling and like. You know, fucking you can't you can't sleep on Teresa Famiga. Like she is like real little scream queen and really carries that film, but also all of the supporting cast are really fun and the mechanics of how the time loop is working, I think were very interesting and unconventional compared to say a knife shoved in a fucking photo booth. Um, as like that's easier to explain. <laughs> and that's why I yes. sort of understand my perhaps the audience or something like totally killer is bigger than final girls. And that's the thing, like if if people want to get like really literary deep film reading because uh, we always say when we do an episode like this like we're never going to hit everything like it's, right, we can't right. be completely comprehensive we've got two hours to get but we do our best to give you like a 101 but i mean obviously the classic men women and chainsaws i've brought it up on this show before read it make it your bible like it's it's got such good theory in it and, and beautiful work and we didn't even talk about Candyman, and Candyman has since come back as yep. well too yep um but i think that really brings us to today um you know we're getting things now like megan which is you know kind kind of along the same lines of the the uh chucky remake i mentioned bodies 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 which is like kind yeah, of like a funny the blackening like- the blackening, um, yeah, like the anxiety is like of these friends and social media. The killer and is things. the friends we hate along the way, basically. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, which I, I, I thought that movie was really fun and, and gaggy. Um, the blackening is so funny. I was laughing my fucking face off. Um, so funny, so good. Um, and, and and even like I think at the end of the month, Five Nights at Freddy's is coming out, mm-hmm. which is you know based off the video game, and there's been a couple like kind of riffs on that already with the banana splits movies and Willy, the Nicolas Cage Willie's Wonderland which I've heard are both very bad but we um, talked about um Happy Death Day and and you know that yes also fun um I think Ready or Not was really fun like I she mm. has a lunch like fucking rich people but I, I think that brings us to our current moment so why don't we get into our picks so why don't we start with our one star reviews to talk mm. about maybe the slasher movies that uh didn't stab us too hard 
Maria, we always let our guests go first. You have you are our, our special guest of honor. So please, what Sorry. is your one star review slasher movie? Well, this was actually choosing a one star was tough because I don't love like if I don't like a thing, I usually am like pretty quiet about it. It's like fucking keep it moving because you know yeah. working yeah. in <laughs> the film and TV business, it's fucking hard. It's a grind. Yeah, and like li- and listen, we're we're not you know you don't have to like tear anything apart if you don't want to. No, like, that's, well, you I know, was fun. just sort of trying to think like. And again, the, what also made it tricky is because I love the subgenre, so it's actually quite hard because I like even the things that I don't love, I don't hate in like a visceral sort of way because I'm already predispositioned to like the thing within the genre. For instance, something like Talk to Me, which is one of the big horror hits of the year, that's like a a three out of five star movie for me, so far from being a one star. But it's like, it's it has some great strengths and it has some great weaknesses, I think. And I'm really interested to see how that goes as a franchise. So choosing the one star was tough. I thought about this film, um, I was choosing my one star based on like this sort of idea that we were talking about things that were quite malicious or like slashes that sit within the genre that are malicious. And I was thinking about this um, Australian film called Killing Ground, which I have a real distaste for. And it was sort of positioned as like the new Wolf Creek. And I was like, okay, what? Because just horrible things happen to women, um, which isn't really what Wolf Creek is about at all. Wolf Creek is no, this, not like, at all. actually quite complex treaties on Australian immigrant culture and the this sort of like weaponization of larrikinism um, and is very much speaking to Australia's history of racial suppression and repression. And Killing Ground was just fucking horrible stuff for horrible people's sake. But I don't know if it necessarily fits all the subcategories for slasher. So I was like, fuck it, go back to the OG. And for me, my one star is Halloween 2, which um, 1981, directed by Rick Rosenthal, not directed by John Carpenter, unlike the OG Halloween. One of the things that I like most about Halloween 2 is that it picks up literally minutes after Halloween one. And so does the David Gordon Green Halloween two, of which I also hated and would also give a one star. So I think anytime you do a Halloween two, <laughs> you're cursed for me. I just don't love it. But I love that as a conceit of like the sequel just being seconds after the original, because there's then no heavy lifting for the audience. They remember quite clearly like where things are meant to be. But the reason I really disliked Halloween two is I felt like it really undermined all of the traits and strengths and benefits of Laurie Strode as a final girl by essentially having her incapacitated throughout most of the movie and essentially Mm. drugged up for all intents and purposes. And there's a real nastiness towards women uh, in the deaths that occur throughout Halloween 2 that doesn't exist there in the same way in Halloween. You could say that, um, you know, Michael Myers definitely, like, he has a boner for wanting to kill, like, sexy babysitters for sure, but he kills men equally as brutally. There's um, <laughs> not saying he's, like, you know, equality, but at the same time, <laughs> like, he's an equal It is weird that he was wearing that suffragette banner the whole <laughs> yeah. time. I was Feminist like, icon, oh, Michael Myers. Really- yeah, he was. He really wants to get them the vote. He said gay rights, and he kept it moving. And like yeah. Michael Myers had to vogue so the Babadook could fucking run. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, but in the sequel, it feels very specifically targeted and vicious towards women in a way that I didn't like. It goes through, has these really like tonally inconsistent moments of extreme gore and violence, cut to sheer fucking boredom, and it's. <laughs> 
a movie that never, like for me, of all the films in the Halloween franchise, I, I quite like Season of the Witch, which I have a soft spot for it. I think it's interesting. I think it's ambitious. I think it's fucking weird. Um, of all the movies in the Halloween franchise, including the one where Buster Rhymes fucking fly kicks Michael Myers out of a window, Halloween 2 is the one that is the biggest drop off in quality for me and the biggest betrayal of I think what I had to interpret it as being the sort of core traits of Halloween as a franchise. I'm sorry I left you. Are you all right? Why won't he die? Get away from him! But he stopped breathing! No! My one star review is actually pretty easy um we we talked about the original of this um franchise but my one star review is 2009's my bloody valentine 3d um oh my god i which i had saw in the theater so same wow. here same wow. here i was on the junket tour for that i interviewed all the crew and cast i uh, 2009 <laughs> was like the era when like 3D was going to save cinema. Um, This was maybe also one of the first movies I saw for this episode. And I was just like, hey, boy, we are in it to win it. Um, I think My Bloody Valentine 3D has all the things that I hate about slasher movies. It is just the most basic garbage bargain bin version of this genre where it's like, I mean, so My Bloody Valentine classic setup there is um a madman who killed people in a mine and like his icon the iconic killer is like a miner he's got like the mask and like his pickaxe these kids go down to a mine for lols and um this miner fucking kills all but like three of them and then it's like 10 years later um, and now one of them is like the sheriff. And also it's like the guy who had the gay kiss in Dawson's Creek. One of the guys from Supernatural is also here. Um, Jensen Eccles. Jensen Eccles. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it, it is a very CW looking film, I would say. Um, and yeah, so like they tackle like, is there a very like classically beautiful woman who gets mauled in a horrible way and she's completely naked full frontal for no reason literally no reason she's running outside but naked um horrible death for her um we get really horrendous like politics around mental health every bullshit straight white person thing that you the worst of all of this genre is in this one movie and to top it all off there's fucking shit flying in your face because it's 3D. And like, <laughs> it's, I I just cared so little about all these people. And I wish I would have seen the original because I, I, I read that people really liked it. And I honestly thought that this was going to be the original. And I was like, oh, this must be a remake. Um, horrendous. The vibe of that movie is just like boner. Like boner, boner, boner. And like, and not in a fun, sexy way. It's just like, a white, straight, horrible, you know, society trap way. And I think that movie yeah. is a fucking trap. It's, it, 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 luckily, like, I guess I got that out of the way. And because afterwards I was like, oh, none of these movies are as bad as that one. Um, <laughs> and like, and, and honestly, like none of the deaths in that movie are like terribly inventive or like funny or like, you know, uh, 
yeah, a, a lot of these movies are funny. And like this one just had all the melodrama garbage of a very bad CW movie. And and the writing, uh, uh, it's just all around. Blech. Not for me. This certainly won't quiet the rumors about Harry Warden being back. People think what they want doesn't make it true. The talk is out there, Sheriff. A lot of folks remember 10 years ago like it was yesterday. Yeah, there's a lot of minor suits in this town, Martin. It's not Harry Warden, he's dead, remember? Sheriff, you got a valentine. I'm go- I'm going to do a little outside the box. It's been a very long time since I've, like, tied. And once again, I don't <laughs> wow. like shitting on things. But the... Um, I lo- you know me. I love a genre mashup. Love a little, love a little comedy in my romance. Mm-hmm, love mm-hmm. a little action in my adventure. Love a little horror comedy every now and then. Two genres that don't work together: musical slashers. They don't. They don't. And so my one star view is actually a tie between 2010's "Don't Go in the Woods" oh and 2014 "Stage Fright," which is one of many stage frights, by the way. Do you not like Sweeney Todd? So, but that's different, and that's different. That's I would say that (laughs) that's not a slasher per se. You know what I mean? Like, no, these oh, he's slashing. I mean, yes. Does he slash? (laughs) Absolutely, with a fucking blade, with his dick for sure. He slashes vampires. Like everyone's doing a slash, but um, you know. But, Um, But Gavin, please. 2010's Don't Go Into the Woods was actually Vincent D'Onofrio, the actor's directorial debut. It's about, like, kind of a screamo band who decides to go into the woods to write their new album. Um, and their their lead singer, Nick, is like, "We're everybody, no drugs, no alcohol, no phones. Like, we really need to, to be serious artists. And they go there, and literally within, like, a night, a bunch of girls show up with drugs and and booze. Um, in the midst of all of this, there are like five minute long bad like Jimmy Eat World esque numbers throughout the movie. Okay, I um, love that. <laughs> no, no, it's not good. You don't love this, trust me. Um, and then also for some reason the girls get musical numbers, but not as the ba- like the boys only have musical numbers confined to the band. The girls occasionally can wander the woods and sing to themselves. Um, and suddenly there's a mysterious man in a hat with a sledgehammer who is picking them off one by one. Um, I think the most embarrassing is I mean, there's a lot of embarrassing shit in there. There's a lot of like very light homophobia like all the guys are like who oh, suck me off oh, you're not my type like i'm like great cool whatever and then there's a french character a french woman who doesn't speak any english and you also think that's gonna pay off but nope she's just there to sing like some really annoying pop punk uh je t'aime means i love you song before getting hit in the head with a hammer je On the flip side of that, Stage Fright 2014, uh, which is a a musical about a, a killer, the phantom of the... He's not the phantom of the opera, for legal reasons, I'm sure. The opera ghost, uh, who is picking off kids at a um, theater summer camp um, that is run by Meatloaf. I love uh, that. 
and one of the main the main girl in it, her mother um, is mini driver in a pop up tip spot at the very beginning, getting killed by an opera ghost. Um, <laughs> who like you ten years later, you cannot have a film that is centered around the performing arts and mini driver not pop up. Like know, it is exactly. a rule. She doesn't even get cast. She just is, is there. This movie's really bad. It does try and go for a more traditional musical. In fact, there's a one point where they actually do the Jesus Christ Superstar riff, and I was like, lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. <laughs> um, but uh, the it's it's really trying to do like play with the family opera stuff, but also like this killer who's. But <laughs> I watched. This is one of the few I watched with Dan. We watched it on Tubi, so there were commercials, and we literally couldn't tell when it was in commercial and when it was in the movie, because the movie just looks like a commercial. Um, it, you know, COVID denier Meatloaf just doing his best yes. to, around the It just, it, oh, also, uh, musical theater people think um, Kabuki and Japanese, cult, like, it. they think that the racial thing is, like, really funny, and so, like, for some reason they decide to set this the haunting of the opera as a kabuki theater so all the kids are in like pancake geisha makeup and oh. i was like this is 2014 i was 2014 say, seems a little late yeah. for some of these decisions yeah well there's also a song at the beginning that's like i'm gay i'm gay but not in that way oh sure. and it's like it's yeah. like also come on guys i know what you're doing but like this uh, is yeah, right in neither... Katy Perry's You're So Gay and You yes. Don't Even Like Boys era. Yes. <laughs> Shut your fucking face! Your music calls a fuck shit every single day! You people make me sick! I think that wraps up our one-star reviews. Why don't we get into more positive territory and talk about our five-star reviews? <laughs> One of you guys go first because I had such a hard time. <laughs> like I was really, truly having like a mental breakdown being like, do I pick a, a five star classic that everyone's covered like Scream or do I pick a five star underrated that people might have missed or do I pick a five star recent gem? So I was really just like having a crisis of confidence. So I need to kind of know what you guys picked and then I feel like I, I can assess from there. <laughs> it's truly your playground, but I, I can go. I'll go first. I'll make you it first. easy. You go you first, babe. Uh, so, uh, 1978's Halloween. And I think ah, it, yeah, it's, it's so good. And, like, I know that's kind of a cop-out, but, like, it literally, it lays the ground. Like, it is the the template for the slasher. Like, even though there's things that come before it that, like, c- kind of give it the seeds, It it's the, you know, what it, what is the, the, the stone? The It's the Rosetta Stone. It just truly is. It's got everything you can need it's got you know michael myers the unstoppable faceless killer who's just mm-hmm. pure evil but also so relatable who could be behind you at any moment but also is nowhere you know at the same time it's got laurie strode who's this incredibly likable main character uh teenager and she's the good one she's the one who like maybe she's not paying the most attention to to the kid she's babysitting with but she's not out having sex she's not drinking and you know she's doing all the quote-unquote responsible stuff you've got the great sam loomis character which i think is a part of slashers people have a tendency to forget about because if your killer if your killer character is so faceless so unknowable you need another character that essentially runs around as his hype man mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. and and i think i you think need, all those you, things work you so need well. a dick that has a face you yes, need literally so. someone to be like what's his name let me hear you say michael Myers. <laughs> yeah, michael yeah. Myers. <laughs> 
What if murdering girls is good? (laughs) Have they considered moving him on any night that's not October 31? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly why he functions so perfectly in that capacity. The only thing that ever bothers me is their gibberish. When they start raving on and on. You haven't anything to worry about. He hasn't spoken a word in 15 years. Are there any special instructions? Just try to understand what we're dealing with here. Don't underestimate it. Don't you think we could refer to it as him? If you say so. Uh, But yeah, and then just the way that you know, Carpenter shoots it. I mean, starting with the first person perspective. And I think that's one of the other things that most of the sequels get wrong. I still go to bat for part four, but um, I think a lot of them get wrong is he's the shape, you know, there, and there's not a lot of that in the other ones. There's not a lot of like, he's just there in a place with you. Like he, you know, you see him out of the corner of your eye. And I think that's so suspenseful. Also famously, like Carpenter showed this to a bunch of people without music beforehand, a bunch of executives and nobody wanted to buy it because they're like, it's not scary. And when he added that score, I think the score makes a huge difference for it. Instantly recognizable. And sure, it's full of a lot of like shocks, but like it works. It works for that reason. So, yes, 1978's Halloween. Perfect, perfect slasher movie. Very solid pick, Gavin. My pick is bonkers, bananas and like bring it on um the movie i love um oh is it is it the last it, bring it on movie it's, which it's was also a slasher <laughs> yeah yeah bring it on <laughs> bring it on to hell um th- th- there was one the the fourth the fourth or fifth or sixth however many there are <laughs> the last direct video one was like bring it on or die or something like that that's incredible i simply must watch um <laughs> my I, surprisingly, I remember watching bits and bobs of Nightmare on Elm Street, and I decided to revisit, and I was, I watched the first one, and I was like, oh my god, Freddy Krueger's kind of a little freak. Like, he's a little weirdo, who, like, for no reason is like, bleh, I'm gross. Like, for no reason, you know? He loves a gimmick. He loves a gimmick. Freddy Krueger would have loved Halloween Horror Nights. He would have been there every year with his little posse. Like he would have been had a lounge fly backpack on, would have been there. Um, And then I watched the second one because I was so intrigued. And I was like, (laughs) wait a minute. Um, My my five star (laughs) review is A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Um, Yeah. Because it is the only, well, number one, I think I'm, I'm first of all, when I watched the first one, I was like, the idea of, what if your dreams can kill you is such an interesting concept to me because a lot of we're we're told to follow our dreams, be ambitious, be passionate, all that stuff. But this idea, like, obviously it's not the central idea, but like in the end, it's like, if you are dreaming, it, like you will die, you know? And if maybe this speaks to me right now where it's like, we are such a work consumed culture and this idea of like dreaming to like make money and all this stuff, like, dreams are supposed to be good and whatever. And obviously like they're nightmares, but like still, so that idea like hooked me. And then watching the second one, which is just miles away, you know, from the concept, this, this is also a rare movie where the final girl is a boy. Um, And, and And he's a member of the tribe and he, (laughs) honey, he is a girly. Um, 
Tyler Coates wrote for Decider, um, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is the gayest um, horror movie ever made. And she's right. Uh, is his name? I think his name's Jamie. I could have that wrong. Yes. But Jamie. No, you're right. Jamie has moved into the house where our original final girly, you know, battled with Freddy. And he, you know, it's like not the coolest guy. Um, he gets pantsed and like we get to see his cute little butt when he's playing softball. Jesse, sorry, Jesse. Oh, That's Jesse. What it is. Um, yeah. He, th- th- <laughs> what I'm trying to say is this movie is hella fucking gay. And I, and I think in such an interesting um an interesting like horror is such an interesting lens to look at like the process of coming out and the anxiety like the anxiety here is and this is my fucking read the anxiety of him like being gay there is something inside of him that he's trying to push down yeah and it's fred freddy freddy is like you know the metaphor of of his his gayness is is freddy freddy's trying to use him to um commit all these murders and horrible acts and he there's this great scene where he's like talking to his mom and dad and no one believes him. And he's like, no, there's something inside me. I can't like, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want this for my life. And it's so powerful. Um, And and this is not just like subtextual, like in the text, he like yeah. meets up with his like gym teacher, at like an SNM club. Um, the gym teacher like is killed in the showers, like literally scratches down his back. And meanwhile, Jesse's just like looking from the shower, like, work um the the scene where like his dad makes him clean his room and he like lip syncs for his life literally just this like booty popping and like you know putting on his glasses the song is so gay also it's um the way that i have literally had the same thing happen to me where he's trying to like hook up with his girlfriend and he's like oh i can't and runs away i was like that literally has happened to me in high school um (laughs) And where does he go afterwards? He goes to his bud's house. And the guy's like, yeah, she was trying to get it in. And you're here wanting to sleep with me. And he's like, yeah, it's scary. It's funny. It's silly. Like all the things that I have come to realize that I like about this genre are that like it can be all these things and it doesn't have to just be like the brutality, <laughs> which really like gets me like what? Um, and, and yeah, and also this, I think, um, is a really great queer, you know, deconstruction uh of of this experience i mean god this is like the mid 80s like you know height of AIDS, early 80s like jesus like and and so i guess it's mid but it really does um, make you wonder that there's always there's always 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 queer subtext in and then it just becomes text by the end of his career and the end of his life but wes craven's movies were always very gay and um, like yeah. he he was not a gay man, but it made me always like kind of made me wonder like he obviously must have had a lot of queer friends or a queer family member because these are not things that you come to on your own if you're just like in quote unquote straight mainstream society like the right. the narrative is to push in ostracization and bigotry and the fact that he was always like seeing those stories and seeing avenues for those stories and for those people to exist has always just been one of the f- most fascinating through lines of his career to me because it's yeah. like that's not what mainstream society is telling you when you're growing up in the 50s right. and 60s like he was and that and that first movie the first movie is the one that Wes Craven was working on like it is beautiful i mean the scene where Johnny Depp ill gets killed in the bed and the blood is coming up mm. i was like this is horrendous, but also just like gorgeous. 
like a right. technical wonder, you know. Um, and obviously, Wes Craven did not direct the second one, but still, I, I, there's a, so much to unpack from all of these from a very silly movie about a very silly villain who like is being a, a little weirdo, but uh, yeah, they're able to pack in so much societal, cultural, um, emotional things, uh, and it's not just gross for sake of being gross which i really like i'm scared grady something is trying to get inside my body yeah and she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana and you want to sleep with me look i don't care if you believe me or not hey i believe you you've had some scary dreams okay no i don't no I'm all messed up. What difference does it make? So my five-star film, now thank you so much for both of you going first. I really appreciate it. Um, We've never done that for anyone else. I know. Oh, I feel special. (laughs) Okay, I feel special. Um, And I will say I feel special because, for the record, Scream is in my top five favourite films of all time. So it's my my number one slasher to ever slash. However, I feel like... I would like to do a a five-star film, a five-star slasher that maybe people haven't come to yet, Um, especially in light of you guys choosing, like, classics of the genre. This is an opportunity for me to pivot. So, obviously, Scream goes without saying. I would also recommend Urban Legend from 1998, which is part of the 90s slasher resurgence, directed by Australian filmmaker Jamie Blanks. Anyway, my five-star film is There's Somebody Inside Your House, which is a Netflix original. It came out a few years ago, 2021, and it's a slasher. It's part of this wave of literary slashes. It's based on a book by Stephanie Perkins, um, who thankfully is a woman writing about women. (laughs) You're not going to have to get to the end of it, and it's some fucking guy called Terry. Like, it's (laughs) legitimately, like, she's writing about female trauma as a female, which is very refreshing um, in the literary slasher space. Anyway, it's a fucking rollicking read. And when I heard they were doing an adaptation, I was very excited because it comes from James Wan and his production company, Atomic Monster, who I think have exceptional taste and really fun taste. Things like Malignant and Night Swim and shit like that have been really like compelling and interesting to me and about where they sit in the horror space. It's directed by Patrick Bryce, who did um, probably better known for sort of mumblecore adjacent horror films creep and creep 2 which are also very good has oh, yeah. the duplass one of the duplass brothers in it anyway very cute but this slasher is set in a small town and there's a masked killer who wears a mask of your face <laughs> so whoever he's killing he's got a mask of that person's face i.e. like a 3d printer type vibe or you know whatever so you know like obviously once you see the killer and you're wearing the mask you're like oh shit i'm the intended victim but the whole modus operandi for the killer is about the secrets people keep and the secrets people have in this small town and like cancelable offences and cancel culture comes into it. But Sydney Park, who is um, the only Pacifica final girl I've ever fucking seen in a movie ever, is so compelling and so good and so, like, she plays this character, Makani. She has all of the things Nev Campbell has when she plays mm. Sydney Prescott in a way that I'm invested in her on screen. And the little friendship group in and around her, again, like Scream, nobody misses. 
Like there's no weak link in that friendship group. And yes, it's 2021. So there's like in the friendship group, there's a black character, there's a non-binary character, there's a queer character, there's all these different, (laughs) yes, exactly, as there should be. But there's all these different archetypes, but none of them feel archetypical. They are all characters with complexities and stories and nuances, and there's real stakes to this world. It's very funny, but it's also like romantic, like the kids fuck and like the kids party (laughs) and the kids have sex and it's just rich and the soundtrack is amazing it's got Kim Petras on it Kilo Kish Tira Wack um Empress of Grizzle Sharon Van Eaton it's like it's just very stylish very compelling I haven't been this excited about a classic slasher that is to say one that doesn't have time travel or body swapping or Groundhog Day mechanics since you know scream urban legend i know what you did last summer and i just really loved it and i feel like it's really gone under the radar holly you said this car's a piece of shit right wait what's the car got to do with it oh fuck are you serious we have to try to help zach and half of our class are in that maze right now if we clear a path they can get out all right all right okay let's go save the goddamn football team let us do our mixed reviews review and then we'll get out of here into our fast forward my one-star review was 1981's Halloween 2. My one-star review was a tie between 2010's Don't Go in the Woods and 2014's Stage Fright. And my one-star review was uh, 2009's My Bloody Valentine 3D. My five-star review was 1978's Halloween. My five-star review was 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And my five-star review was... 2021's There's Someone Inside Your House. There's a stranger in the house. (laughs) (laughs) I really want you guys to watch that movie. I feel like you'd like it. Anyway, separate. separate. We'll write you a book report afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we have homework now. Uh (laughs) Yeah, let's get into our fast forward. We the aforementioned um, totally killer is out now on Amazon. Um, yeah, the the blackening has just hit streaming. Um, Chucky There's... is al- alive and well on TV. Like yeah. there, there is no end to slashers nowadays. Right. I mean, Scream seems to be like in a new like pendulum swing of cultural relevance and people are just really into it. I will say I have not seen a Scream in like about six entries. Um, <laughs> well, let me tell you, there is only six. So, <laughs> oh, there are? Yeah, yeah, there's six. But I will say there is a Scream TV series that has three seasons, of which the third season has no connection to season one or two. So, hard pivot. But, uh, and it becomes anthological by season three. But season one is very good, very compelling. Okay, I They've agree. tried to make the slashes happen on TV for a while. There was that TV series called Slasher, which is now also gone anthological. And there's like a few others like sort of floating around. But Scream, yeah, Scream Queens was very like Glee with blood. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you guys remember when Ryan Murphy created the horror comedy? As he so claimed? Yeah, he did it. He was the one who did it. He did it. There there was none before him. 
He did it, Joe. He did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hate him so much. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you're, you're right about Scream being back into cultural relevancy because Scream 6 is a film that came out in 2023. I feel like this year has gone for 10 decades, so it's a little bit hard to reconcile that Scream 6 is one of the big box office hits of this year like that's wild yeah Yeah. wild thing to say like after all these years it's nearly fucking 30 years since scream came out like what yeah and it's also i mean it just feels like you know we've talked a little bit about like the modern movies and like the subversion of the genre but the time you know trap like totally killer is basically made to be like she goes back in time and she's like okay let's catch the killer now and they're like lol what's dna or like right. she's like I think the best parts of those movies or that movie is like she goes to the high school and is like do you need my records and they're like bitch get to class we do not care like and she's just like the 80s were crazy like no wonder like you could just do whatever um, but you know yeah the body swapping the ground like the happy death day stuff um, even like getting into like having more um, openly queer characters um, you right. know the whole premise of the blackening is of like we can't all be the first to die. And so like having um, these more underrepresented othered um, classes of people where it's not just like this white anxiety stuff going on, but like these more specific things um, to these other groups of people. I think it's so interesting um, and so clever, like all these ways that we're like the entry into these horror um, stories now. Um, It's exciting. And and that's the important, and that's the important thing. That's what's going to, to keep the genre going is that there is now room for these other voices that it that it isn't just about straight white men being like boop people just show up because i want to see boobs there's there's room for women's voices and like we didn't even really talk about summer party massacre but it was like the first big slasher movie directed by a woman amy holden jones is her name i believe somebody might want to correct me on that but um the the you know there's more room for women like her and there's more room for people of color and there's more room for queer voices and i think that's where like everything needs to to be because if not we're gonna have the same five things like i once again love freddie but like chucky the only thing that literally is saving chucky right now why he's moved back into the mainstream is because the man who created chucky is a gay man and can finally like really express that and so it has more interesting queer themes um so yeah so i'm just looking forward to it becoming i was right amy holden jones yeah yeah. um the uh i I think that to me is more interesting and, and what's it's keeping me interested in the genre as, as it like moves and adapts and becomes, but you know, it, cause to me it's, it, it's got like, I love the gimmicks. Like I do love the time travel, the body swap, like it's all fun, but you know, if, if we're really going to go somewhere, I think it's just like going to come from these other voices what instead I also of it love, just being white men. Yeah. We all, what I also love, we talked about this a little earlier is like a lot of these modern movies, like the girlies are fighting back. Like, these yeah. the, the idea that like a man could just come into my house and kill you certainly a thing but in totally killer fucking julie bowen says bitch i've been training oh my god don't that fuck is with me such a great bit because it's like this whole thing of like she's the the moment when she's like i've been worried about getting murdered since i was 16 i'm fucking ready i was like hello are you me 
I have a switchblade yeah. on my key ring. I sleep with a baseball bat next to my bed. Like I have a strategy and a scheme to get out of this. Like right. I don't go to box fit classes for pleasure. I go yeah. there. So if I'm going to get murdered, guess. if I, if I die, I die, but I'm going to make sure there's so much DNA under my fingerprints. Yeah. And that yeah. person's astrological sign and their address and a description <laughs> of them sketch next to the body. Like I'm going full Da Vinci code where I'm like drawing <laughs> symbols and shit next to me and right. the fucking Louvre. <laughs> but it's, it's like, it's, you know, the Halloween reboot reboot is also in this vibe. Like Laurie Strode is like ready to fight back, but even like in freaky, you know, and, and, and happy death day. Like she's trying to like, these girlies are trying to fight back and the blackening they're fighting back. And so, I, I also like the idea of, you know, um, just not like these, like, wimpy, innocent little victims who, like, right. can't defend themselves. Um, or even, I, I know you haven't seen it yet, but even the newest Scream, Scream 6, they finally had, like, a, a Gail Weathers versus Ghostface uh, uh, knockdown drag out. And she's, like, maybe not the best at holding her own, but she's fucking fighting for her life. Yeah. Yeah, you really believe it. And you believe, like, she's fighting for her life, like, one injectable at a time. Like, her uh-huh. honestly, yes. her face <laughs> has never looked worse. Not and one I'm wrinkle. like, I truly just can't take one more headline about how she's like, I realized I went too far in the 2000s. So I dissolved all my filters. And then you see her in a film and you're like, Did you? Did you? Like, what's yeah, yeah. going you... on here? It's crazy. I, 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 will, I will say this one thing that certainly does bug me about modern. Um, uh slashers and i do think the groundwork was laid over the years but i do think there is sort of a reliance on guns in a really unpleasant way i don't mind a surprise gun i think it really works in the original scream when there's suddenly a gun introduced and it's like oh fuck like now but like in like part five a big part of the marketing campaign was even like yeah or well like the five was when sydney was like you know i'm sydney fucking prescott of course i I I I was like yeah in in the first movie like ghostface doesn't have a gun he has a gun when he's they're revealed. Like those are now right. just the boys that have a gun. And, and that s- was also like Ghostface was fucking clumsy. As a masked villain, right. Ghostface was not Michael Myers. It was not an insurmountable foe that you couldn't get the best of. You see Yeah, you can like, knock him down. <laughs> exactly. And like you see Tatum nearly get the better of him with beer bottles. You see Sarah Michelle Geller, you know, hit him with a fucking bike. It's like that's actually part of what makes it quite scary is that so many times they nearly succeed and they nearly get away. And it's just like, it doesn't fully manifest oftentimes in their survival. But like, that is one of the things that was really new and compelling and fresh about Scream is that the masked killer wasn't infallible. Like they were, they were goofy. They tripped over, they made mistakes. Okay. Yes. And the first one, it's real to be two teenage, teenage boys. Like you know, the most stupidest version of humanity. Yeah, <laughs> two absolutely. straight teenage boys, <laughs> I guess. But, you know, as the franchise as two goes guys on, that were once teens. Yeah. Teens? Yeah, <laughs> like, like, believable. Yeah, it's fun. And I, I haven't seen um, Pearl and X because I'm scared. Um, but it does feel like <laughs> we are now in the A24-ification era of slashers mm-hmm. also. Um, and, and people seem to really like those. Um, and so, yeah, X it's... is really fun. X is basically like a little homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's like a very progressive, horny, 
like not, I didn't find it scary at all, I must say, but that's okay. I'm not going to a horror movie to be like, I must be scared. I want a good story first. And if there's some good (laughs) scares in there, I'm delighted. You know what I mean? Like there are some great scares and talk to me, but the story was one of the things that sort of like let me down. It'll be like, I'll have a few less scares if the story can like match you know what I mean? Gotcha. I, I want them to yeah. be holding their hands in that regard. And same with Pearl. It's like, yeah, it's more of a drama, really, that just has some pretty gnarly deaths in it. But fucking X is a banger. <laughs> yeah, and that and I'm I'm glad you brought that up too about the A24 occasion because I and I think Maria was just saying this too as well, where like I I have a problem with a lot of modern horror where like it's like I think horror needs to remember that it is also about like entertainment and like and I'm not saying like be super gross and entertain but like like make your audience entertained and that's a lot of the A24 horror doesn't do a lot for me because a lot of it's just like yeah like how how often are you like home from work on a Tuesday and you're like man I need to unwind let me just put on hereditary like get fucked. Right. That's not right. an unwind exactly. rewatchable. I'm, you know, like I love Midsummer, but I'm like that's. I'm we're watching that at a specific sleepover. It's not something. Right. I'm it's just not a. It's not on. a feel good time. Right, but <laughs> like, something like you know the Black Phone, more recent. I actually feel like that weirdly is some, and even Candyman twenty twenty one by Nina yeah. Costa. Those are more rewatchable because there is a mystery element to them. In the same way that people rewatch Silence of the Lambs, it's like. There needs to be like an, an additional twist, an additional turn where it's not just like horror for horror's sake. I don't know many people who are like. Bad vibes. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. Hereditary, like, great, but fucking. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> baking a cake and with nuts in it to like sit down and watch that bad movie. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that brings us to the natural conclusion of of a slashers episode. Um, <laughs> none of us were revealed to be the killer. All of us were revealed to be the final girl. We were the final. We made it. We made it. Uh, I mean, look, uh, to be honest, I'm a fucking mixed race woman with big tits. I know I'm dying at the end of the first <laughs> act, at best, if not in the opening. Like, let's be real. Uh, oh, please. I I mean, I can't even run half a block. I know I'm out. So no, that's Gavin, the. You're the killer. Don't be crazy. I know. Don't, I'm don't the killer. Crazy. That's killer. fine. Look at whatever. Candelabra. Big killer I energy know, in the background there. <laughs> um. But Maria, thank you so much for doing this. First of all, um, I want to make sure that you have a moment to plug everything and anything that you're doing. And I know you're doing so much. So I don't want to let you do that now. Um, The Graveyard Shift is really the only thing I want to plug at the moment. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy spooky season and you enjoy horror, no matter what time of year it is, uh, please read The Graveyard Shift. You can buy it. You can listen to the audiobook, You can borrow it from your local library, whatever is your chosen form of accessing it. Um, I would love that so much. And if you like the book or you hate it either or, please flick us a review because every um, every review, whether it's on Amazon or iBooks or Goodreads or whatever, helps just bump it up a little bit further for people to read it. We got an endorsement from Patton Oswalt, which was really cool, who's like one of my big genre heroes. That's amazing. That was lovely. I know, I fucking died. I was literally running around the publisher's office going, we got Ratatouille, bitch! And um, <laughs> that meant they're British, so that meant nothing to them. But um, for somebody who grew up like loving Silver Screen Fiend, which um, was his book basically all about films and specifically horror movies, it was like a bit of a oh-my-God moment. 
Uh, I also worked on this audio documentary about superheroes, specifically the first superhero called The Phantom Never Dies. It's a six-episode show. You can access that on Spotify, podcast, whatever, however you seek that stuff out. And, um, yeah, I don't know, fucking find me on socials if you want to. No stress. I'm on Instagram and um, I refuse to call it what it's now known as, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So just look up Maria Lewis and you'll find me. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I pulled the I pulled the trigger and deleted my Twitter. I Good couldn't do you, it. I was like, Good for, Good for you. you. Good out. for you. Jesus, um, take the wheel. <laughs> yeah, we love a self help queen. <laughs> yeah, value yourself. Exactly. I lit some I lit some candles, murdered some coeds. It's fine. Perfect. Um, <laughs> but but thank you so much. Seriously, you are such a joy and such a delight. And I mean, we're so honored to have you here. Yeah, so thank you for agreeing to do this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And like, what a fun journey to just chart the history of slashes. It's just like truly delightful. The the way Gavin was like, so there's this woman who does want to do slashers. Is that okay? And I was like, I was very, well, I was very handholdy with Louis. I'm like, yeah, I did. (laughs) I think I did pretty well. And I found some movies that I really enjoyed. So I appreciate you bringing slasher films to us. Uh, Well, you're welcome. And thank you for both um, being on board for it. How reluctant that may have been initially. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of Twitters that have yet to be deleted, you can always find us on Twitter at at the mixed reviews. We're on Facebook at just type in the mixed reviews. If you want to email us, you can always email us little love letters at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to listen to our back catalog, we have a plethora of episodes and you can find us on any major podcast app, Apple, Spotify, Google, Audible. We're there in all the places. And you can find us on Patreon to see these beautiful video episodes. Look yes, at this. Honey. I'm wearing my little gay skeleton shirt. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, he is. Um, yeah. Also, finish up this episode and then go back to our other Halloween episodes. One of my favorite of all time is our zombies episode. It bangs. Yeah. You you talk about the zombie episode every year. It makes me it makes the other episodes feel inadequate. Just saying. Okay, fine. <laughs> Werewolves was good too. Um, vampires <laughs> was pretty good. We did um, ghosts. Ghosts was hard, <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah, ghosts was hard. <laughs> uh, but thank but you guys thank for you. listening, and we will see you um, next month. And we'll be in the holiday season. Ooh. Bye, everyone. is defrosting. Bye. Bye-bye. Mariah is defrosting. But word when it was over, I said, yo, that was death. And everything seemed all right when we left. But when I got home and laid down to sleep, that began the nightmare on my street. On my street.